0: Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D., and today I'll be covering the case of Sky Metawala in Bellevue, Washington. Let's get right to it. On the morning of November 6, 2011, 29-year-old Julia Berkova loaded her two children in a silver 1998 Acura Integra and raced from her home to Overlake Medical Center. According to Julia, she was rushing to the hospital because she had found her two-year-old son Sky sick that morning. Though not many details have been released in relation to what Sky's illness was exactly, it was seemingly serious enough that he needed to be taken in for treatment. So, Julia, Skye, and her four-year-old daughter, who I'll be referring to as M, hopped in the car and headed towards Overlake. As they drove down a desolate stretch of 112th Avenue Northeast, the car ran out of gas in the 2600 block of 112th. In the dash to leave the house that morning, Julia had left her wallet and cell phone behind at the apartment. Stranded on the side of the road, she decided her best option was to walk to the nearest gas station. It was approximately 8.30 a.m. when Julia took her four-year-old daughter, M in search of help, but left a sleeping sky in the car strapped into his car seat. As it turned out, the closest gas station was a Chevron, which happened to be roughly a mile down the road. The mother and daughter made it to the Chevron and Julia called a friend who picked her and M up from the Chevron and took them back to the car on 112. When they returned to the car, two-year-old Skye was nowhere to be found. All this according to what Julia Berkova later told police. According to the Charlie Project, at approximately 9.50 a.m., Julia called the police. I'm assuming from her friend's cell phone, and officers responded moments later. They wasted no time kicking off an extensive search of the area, which included officers, search and rescue, and canine teams. Over 50 people combed through the immediate area the car had been stranded, and wooded areas along the route from Julia's apartment to Overlake Hospital. And as far as the canines went, the dogs reportedly hit on Skye's scent in the car but never located his scent outside the car, indicating that the two-year-old hadn't just wandered away from the stranded vehicle, but had been carried away by someone else. The search for Skye went on throughout the day, but by nightfall, there was still no sign of him. As the darkness fell, the physical search was suspended until the next day. But investigators worked through the night, trying to put the pieces of the puzzle back together again. It was clear from the moment they made contact with Julia Berkova that there was a whole lot more to this story than Julia was letting on, and they learned quickly that Julia and her husband Solomon Medawala were in the midst of a divorce and bitter custody battle, a battle in which both sides had made startling accusations against the other. To understand how it all ended, we'll have to take it all the way back to the beginning. Have you ever wondered quietly to yourself why laundry detergent comes in massive plastic jugs? They're heavy, messy, and hard to store. Worst of all, 91% of plastic doesn't get recycled, leaving laundry jugs to just sit in landfills for centuries to come. That's not only horrible for the environment, but also pretty impractical for your laundry room. I was beyond ready to ditch the jug, and fortunately, I found a solution. Earth Breeze. Imagine, if you will, something that looks like a dryer sheet but actually replaces that messy cup of goo. A pre-measured liquidless laundry detergent sheet that dissolves in all wash cycles. Hot or cold. No measuring, no mess, and no heavy lifting. That's right, no more plastic jug. EarthBreeze is my new favorite detergent. I can fit 720 loads of sheets where I used to fit just one 60-load bulky jug. Most importantly, I still get a powerful clean. EarthBreeze is tough on stains, fights odors, and my clothes come out clean every time. But the thing I love most is that with every purchase, EarthBreeze donates 10 loads of detergent to a charitable cause of your choice. Over 100 million loads have been donated. Let's get real. Nobody loves doing laundry. But with EarthBreeze, there's no mess, no bulky containers, your laundry detergent is shipped right to your door, and your purchase can provide a clean pair of clothes to someone in need. If you're still not convinced, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it, you'll get a full refund, no questions asked, and no return necessary. Trust me, there is no reason not to switch. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash lease to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash lease for 40% off earthbreeze.com slash lease. Matt Phelps with The Kirkland Reporter did a deep dive through court documents and reports into the marriage, separation, and allegations between Julia and Solomon. A two-part series ran in the paper. I'll be relying on it to bring you this part of the story. Before we get into it, I just gotta give credit where it's due, and The Kirkland Reporter has done a hell of a job reporting on Sky's case. So, shout out to The Kirkland Reporter. Back to the story. All the way back in 1997, a 21-year-old Solomon Metawala met a 15-year-old Julia Berkova while working at his parents' business, King Street Cafe, which was a deli and convenience store in Pioneer Square that Solomon was managing for his parents. At the time, Julia was only a sophomore in high school, despite that fact and a six-year age gap that really feels illegal. Julia caught Solomon's eye, so he invited her to an upcoming party. Julia went and the rest was history. Soon after, she and Solomon began dating and Julia came to work as a waitress at King Street Cafe. In 1999, at the age of 17, Julia graduated from high school and became a naturalized citizen of the United States. You see, Julia had emigrated to Washington State at the age of 12 with her mother. Julia is a native Ukrainian who was born in Soviet Russia. According to Julia, her early life in Eastern Europe was riddled with abuse. Court documents detail her claims of daily beatings at the hands of her parents. And beyond that, a young Julia was subjected to electroconvulsive shock treatment in Russia as a punishment for bad behavior. Now, modern-day ECT therapy in the U.S. and Canada and many other countries has been used for decades to treat several different mental health conditions. And though it is controversial, it really wouldn't make much sense of a punishment for bad behavior, because when it's done, it's typically done with the patient under full anesthesia. They aren't awake, and thankfully, they don't feel the shocks or any pain. However, according to PubMed, in a 2005 study of ECT therapy practices in Russia, Researchers found that more than one-third of treatment centers providing this therapy in the country were doing so with outdated instruments, failing to monitor patients' brain activity properly, and that fewer than 20% of ECTs were modified with anesthesia, which is honestly terrifying. It's unclear exactly how or why ECT was used as a punishment in Julia's case, or any other case for that matter, but it's there in the court documents. And if it's true, it likely played a role in her mental health later in life. We'll get there soon enough. Anyhow, in 1997, Julia met Solomon at his parents' deli. Solomon himself had also immigrated to the United States with his family. They were from Pakistan. Of course, they too settled in Washington state, opened the deli, and as we know after that party, Julia and Solomon began dating. Julia began working at the deli, and after she finished high school, she and Solomon purchased a condo together in Bellevue for roughly $265,000. In the beginning, things seemed great. The couple ran the deli together, and in their free time, they hung out with their friends, did yoga, jogged at Bellevue Park, went to the movies, and cooked together. As grand as all that sounds, even early on, there were signs that there might have been trouble in paradise. In 1999, Kirkland police were called to a gas station after a report of a couple arguing. It was loud enough for the cops to get called, but the reason was pretty petty. It turns out Julia and Solomon disagreed about where they should go out that night. I mean, it's an argument you've probably had with your significant other a million and 17 times. But it's unlikely that someone had to step in and call the cops. But for Julia and Solomon, it got so heated that someone had to intervene. When the cops arrived, it appears instead of giving his actual name, Solomon gave the police the name of his brother. For what reason, we don't actually know. But it could have had something to do with his legal status in the United States. Fast forward a few years to 2003, when Julia and Solomon were married. This wasn't a fairy tale romantic affair. Instead, Julia was given an ultimatum. She could marry Solomon now or she'd never see him again because he was facing deportation back to Pakistan. The reasons he was facing deportation are unknown. But on February 10, 2003, a small rush ceremony was held in Solomon's mother's kitchen. And apparently, Julia Solomon and his family were the only people who knew the real reason for the quick marriage. Julia didn't reveal this to her family and friends until she and Solomon decided to end things. Rushed as it might have been, the Metawallas began to build a life together, a life like any other with ups and downs. In December of 2006, the couple welcomed their first child, their daughter M. Of course, this was a joyous time in the Metawalla home. But not long after M was born, Julia was diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder. In a nutshell, the American Psychiatric Association defines obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD, as recurring unwanted thoughts, ideas, or sensations, obsessions, that make the person suffering feel driven to do something repetitively, or compulsions. OCD is an anxiety disorder that causes unreasonable thoughts, fears, or worries. A person with OCD tries to manage these thoughts through rituals or compulsions, which are actions that help stop or ease the obsessive thoughts. These compulsions can be anything from tapping, counting, repeating certain words, to obsessively cleaning, frequent hand-washing, or an irrational fear of germs or contamination. These are just a few examples, and the disorder affects everyone differently. But for Julia, many of her compulsions revolved around cleaning. As Julia struggled with her new diagnosis and caring for a newborn, the deli-slash-convenience store flourished, and the money was pouring in. Julia became pregnant again, and with their growing family, the couple decided their small condo wasn't going to work any longer. So in 2008, the couple purchased an $860,000 home in Kirkland. They kept the condo, but moved into their new home. On September 6, 2009, Sky Elijah Medawala was welcomed into the world. Julia was working less and less at the cafe, and with two kids, two mortgages, and a slump in business, the family's financial situation deteriorated quick and in a hurry. It had all actually started before the purchase of their Kirkland home, when around 2005 or 6, a new deli moved in right next door to their business. They lost customers and business began to slow down. And then the recession hit and things came to a grinding halt. As their financial troubles progressed, so did the problems in their marriage. Julia accused Solomon of being controlling and abusive and Solomon claimed that Julia had psychiatric issues. Their problems went from bad to worse after Solomon, who was raised Muslim, converted to Christianity. According to Julia, his family blamed her for his religious conversion, and this caused resentment between Julia and Solomon's family and tension between the married couple. By the fall of 2009, the Metawallas' brand new home was foreclosed on, and the family of four was forced to move back into their Bellevue condo. According to Julia, it was around this time that she learned just how severe their financial situation was. In court documents, she stated, I learned about the extent of our debt from my husband when we were six months behind on paying our two mortgages, utilities, credit cards, and all other bills. This, of course, put further strain on an already struggling marriage. In December of 2009, when Little Sky was just three months old, Julia and Solomon were both charged with reckless endangerment after they left the infant in their Cadillac Escalade while they did some shopping inside a local Target. It was a whopping 27 degrees outside that day when the pair left their baby strapped in his car seat while they moseyed around the department store. CBS reported that other shoppers in the parking lot noticed the baby and called police. And Solomon and Julia only came out of the store after police arrived and asked the vehicle's owner to be paged over the store's intercom. The Matawalas stepped outside and explained to police that they had only left the baby in the car for 20 minutes. But video surveillance determined that was a lie, and Sky had been left in the SUV in freezing temperatures for over 55 minutes. And there's no telling how long he would have been left had someone not called authorities. As we know, they were both charged, but the case was dismissed. After the couple completed a year of probation, 40 hours of community service, and a 10-week parenting class. After the parking lot incident, things went from bad to worse, and according to Solomon, Julia's mental health took an alarming turn. By this point, Julia was obsessively cleaning the house for six to seven hours a day, to the point that the children were being neglected. Solomon and the kids could no longer eat meals inside the home and had to eat out in order to keep the apartment clean. Solomon was no longer able to sleep in his own bed but slept on the living room floor or in his car to avoid dirtying the sheets. In court records, Solomon stated, I am not exaggerating when I state under oath that Julia cared more about cleaning a countertop than she did about feeding our daughter. The child was ignored and it became a matter of great concern. On three separate occasions, other residents of the condominiums complained about loud vacuuming noises in the late night hours. The couple was issued citations for these noise violations and fined $300 by management at the condos. And it only got worse from there. In court documents, Solomon stated, By March 2010, Julia would not leave the house on time to go anywhere. She was like a prisoner who locked herself into a cell block. She began to have dreams about killing our children, even telling me her dreams about strangling our youngest child. This became very scary and I knew it was time I had to do something. The couple officially separated. On March 10, 2010, according to a Bellevue police report obtained by The Kirkland Reporter, Joya was home alone with a then six-month-old Sky. She began making threats of harming herself over text messages to Solomon. One of the texts read, Please, please, I'm begging with my whole heart. Help me find a peaceful way to die. I cannot live another day and cause you, M, and Sky any more suffering. I'm dead inside anyway and have been dead for a long time. You will not miss me at all and M and Sky will have the best daddy in the world so I know they will be okay. Solomon notified police and after Julia admitted to police she was suicidal, she was taken to a psychiatric facility. But at the facility, she told mental health professionals that she had threatened suicide to get Solomon's attention. At that point, she was involuntarily committed at Overlake Hospital. As the move towards separation and a divorce went on, Julia's mental health continued to decline. On three occasions, she was committed, two of those times involuntarily, for treatment of her mental health issues. At some point, her own mom, Nadia, expressed to the courts that her grandchildren were suffering at the hands of their mother, stating, Neither your husband nor I would like for you to live with us at your current condition. All of us, your children included, are suffering from your abuse. Nadia would later take that back and place the blame on Solomon, claiming that he had convinced her that Julia was sick. In June of 2010, Solomon filed for divorce. During one of Julia's hospitalizations, the family condo was foreclosed on. Solomon moved into his mom's house with the children, and that bitter custody battle ensued. Julia alleged that Solomon had physically abused her and that he had beat their two children with a wooden spoon. Solomon denied this, but it didn't stop the allegations. All in all, Child Protective Services visited the family six times, from late 2009 to late 2010. The claims were investigated and found unsubstantiated. In addition, Julia filed several protection orders against her husband. The most alarming one was filed in December of 2010, when Julia claimed that Solomon had sexually abused their daughter. This claim, like the others, was unfounded and charges were never filed. On the other hand, Solomon raised questions about Julia's mental conditions and told the courts about the neglect and abuse his children had faced at Julia's hands. But in court records, Julia denied everything, down to the fact that she had ever suffered from obsessive-compulsive disorder. Her denial flew in the face of clinical psychologists who had evaluated her, like Dr. Stephen Scholl who believed that Julia was suffering from the disorder but didn't believe it affected her parenting ability. The psychologist stated, although Miss Berkova is dealing with a severe form of OCD, I do not believe that this interferes with her ability to be a compassionate, effective parent to her children. And it seemed the court sided with Dr. Scholl. Julia Berkova was awarded full custody of the children in September of 2010. On September 22nd, she posted on her Facebook, Justice was served today. I am the primary parent for my babies. Hallelujah, my babies are happy and I am happy. She then thanked her attorney. A month and a half later, Sky Metawalla would vanish. Primary custody had been awarded, but the couple still needed to iron out a visitation schedule. So two weeks before Sky's disappearance, the Meadowalas had a marathon of a mediation session. It lasted 11 hours. And during that 11 hours, it's alleged that Julia had left the two children alone at home. Remember, they were four and two at the time. Police have since said that they know for sure whether or not the children were left alone during the session, but they won't comment publicly. Although Bellevue police major Mike Johnson revealed to reporters that Julia herself acknowledged a history of leaving the children alone for extended periods of time. Anyhow, at the end of the marathon mediation, an agreement was reached. Julia agreed to give Solomon some visitation rights. However, days after the meeting, she backed out. She called Solomon and offered to relieve him of more than $2,000 in child and spousal support if he would give her sole custody of the kids and allow them to move to Arizona. Solomon declined, and then Sky vanished. That brings us back to that November 6th day, when Julia claimed she left the house to take a now two-year-old Sky to Overlake Hospital because he was sick. Julia told police she had run out of gas on 112th Avenue. She then claimed she walked a mile with her daughter to the Chevron, leaving a sleeping Sky strapped in his car seat. When she got to the gas station, she called a friend since she had left her cell phone behind and that when she and her friend returned, Sky was gone. The initial story she told police was questionable at best. I mean, really, who leaves their cell phone and wallet behind when taking a sick kid to the hospital? And why would a mother leave her toddler strapped in a car seat on the side of the road? On its face, Julia's story made about as much sense as a screen door on a submarine. But when police first arrived on scene, their immediate concern was for Sky. So they called in resources and searched frantically for the toddler. They searched the immediate area around the car and all the wooded areas along the route. They searched until it got dark and they couldn't search anymore. As night fell and the search was suspended until the following morning, investigators had some serious questions for Julia. And those questions only intensified as the investigation into Skye's disappearance continued. Investigators learned that Julia hadn't exactly been telling the whole truth about what happened the day Skye disappeared. For starters, after she ran out of gas, she hadn't just walked straight to the Chevron. In fact, it took her nearly an hour to walk a mile from the car to the gas station. According to a 2019 study by the CDC, it takes the average person between 15 and 22 minutes to walk a mile. Even with a toddler in tow, it shouldn't have taken Julia an hour to make it a mile. The reason it took an hour? Bellevue police discovered that Julia hadn't just walked straight to the gas station. Instead, she had spent nearly that entire hour wandering around what police described as a wealthy neighborhood, all the while never asking anyone for help. When she finally arrived at the Chevron, she hadn't brought a gas can along with her or asked her friend to bring one, because who needs a gas can when your car is apparently stranded on E on the side of the road? Well, as it turns out, Julia's car was never out of gas. In fact, investigators determined that there was about 2.2 gallons of gas in that car. According to Acura, a 1998 Integra averages between 25 to 30 miles a gallon. Even on the low end, Julia could have driven the car more than 50 miles on the gas that investigators found in her tank. But maybe Julia was wrong. Maybe she thought the car had ran out of gas, but it was some other mechanical issue. That'd be a good story and all, but the car cranked right up and investigators could find no mechanical issue whatsoever with the Integra, even after a complete diagnostic exam. And further, witnesses recounted to police that they had seen the car on the side of 112th Avenue that morning between 8 and 10 a.m., but the car was empty. No one saw two-year-old Skye, and for that matter, no one had seen the toddler for approximately two weeks. Investigators revealed to KIRO7 News that neighbors, family, and friends had not seen the child in more than 14 days. Now, Joya reportedly didn't leave the house all that much, but neighbors thought it strange that they hadn't seen her or the children over those weeks at all. Because though it wasn't often, they typically did see Julia and the kids coming and going at least some. The only person besides Julia who reported seeing Sky was his four-year-old sister. She did tell police that Sky was in the car that morning. But the testimony of a four-year-old, especially when it comes to understanding time, seems highly unreliable. Since children are typically not able to comprehend fully the concept of time at that developmental stage. And then there was the whole Law & Order thing. ABC News reported that not only were investigators not buying her story, but that it was, quote, strikingly similar in nature to an episode of Law & Order. The episode centered around a mother who tried to cover up her child's death by claiming she had gone into a store to buy diapers, leaving her son strapped in the backseat of her car. And when she came back out, the car and her son were gone. You see, according to Solomon, Law & Order was Julia's favorite TV show. He stated to ABC, Law & Order was Julia's favorite show, and the similarities are pretty similar. And if she got that idea in her head that I can make this happen, she's not going to fear the consequences because she doesn't fear consequences. The episode in question had reportedly aired the night before Skye vanished. Three days after Skye disappeared, Julia consented to a search of her home. If police found anything in relation to Skye's disappearance, they haven't revealed it to the public. At that point, Julia Berkova lawyered up and stopped cooperating. To this very day, Julia has never sat down with investigators and given a full interview to answer questions or aid in the search for her son. The question is why. Why would a mother not do everything in her power to help bring her son home? She hasn't spoken with investigators, hasn't made a public plea for her son's safe return, refused to take a polygraph, and has not spoken out to the media. Except maybe once. KREM2 News reported that someone using Julia Berkova's email account contacted ABC News reporter Neil Karlinski in the weeks after Skye's disappearance. Family members confirmed that the email originated from Julia's account. The email read, Mr. Karlinski, my former husband is a sadistic Muslim Pakistani. No one has any idea. This is all too difficult. Kindly, Julia. The reporter responded, asking for more information and the account which seemingly belonged to Julia responded. My attorney has forbid me from speaking out about the ongoing investigation. My former husband's allegations are without merit. Solomon is deceptive. Neil Karlinski then asked the million-dollar question, if she knew where Skye is now. And the emailer answered, no. But when asked if she believed her husband had something to do with the boy's disappearance, she responded yes. Julia continued to point the finger at her now ex-husband Solomon. But there were only several issues with that, the most glaring of them being that Solomon wasn't there when Sky vanished. And further, he had been extremely cooperative with police and spoke to the media on multiple occasions, pleading for information leading to the safe return of his son. She could point the finger at Solomon all she wanted, but much like the allegations she had previously made against him, this one too fell flat. And that's not just me saying that. Investigators searched everywhere they could think to search for Sky Metawala. They tracked down every lead they were given, but nothing led them to Sky. They believe because in the end, his mother Julia is the person who holds the key to the whereabouts of two-year-old Sky Metawala. Bellevue police chief Steve Mylette spoke to Como News and stated in part: "Our detectives still want to talk with Julia Berkova. We believe she knows what happened to Skye. Though Julia has never officially, publicly been named a suspect in the disappearance of her son, that's about as strong of a statement as you're going to get from a police chief during an open investigation. After Skye disappeared, four-year-old M was removed from Julia's care by Children's Services and briefly placed in foster care before Solomon was granted sole custody of his daughter. Julia was denied any visitation. As the years passed and investigators continued to search for Skye, Julia moved on with her life. Three years after the disappearance of her son in December of 2014, Julia married a man with a felony rap sheet, including domestic violence, false imprisonment, and a number of CPS referrals in Florida for domestic violence cases related to a child he fathered with another woman, a child that had been removed from his care. He was 44-year-old Alan James Morgan. It probably goes without saying, but their relationship was rocky from the start, and it didn't take long before it became violent. There were multiple calls to police and a fistful of protective orders. The same month they were married, Julia was granted a no-contact order after one of these alleged assaults. Morgan was put behind bars for violating the order. But Julia continued to visit him in jail under a false name, and Morgan continued to violate the order by calling her from jail. In the summer of 2015, Julia gave birth to a baby boy. Morgan was listed on the birth certificate as the father, but wasn't in attendance at the child's birth because he was still sitting in jail. According to court documents, Department of Children's Services had serious concerns regarding the welfare of the new baby. You think? In court filings, the agency wrote, The child has no parent, guardian, or custodian capable of adequately caring for the child, such that the child is in circumstances which constitute a danger of substantial damage to the child's psychological or physical development. It went on further to read, The concern is about the mother's mental health. Mother is unstable and was diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder. This kicked off another investigation. And again, Julia was uncooperative, and at times, she flat out lied. She refused a psychiatric evaluation and told investigators she and Alan weren't married, didn't live together, despite sharing the same address, and she didn't know who the father of her child was, despite his name being on the birth certificate and the father and son sharing the same middle name. Custody was awarded to Julia's mother, Nadia. However, Julia remained in the infant's life living in the home with her mother and newborn son. But that didn't last long because the court had placed restrictions on Julia and she violated those restrictions. After another court battle, one in which Alan Morgan argued that both he and Julia were unfit to care for the child and that his son should be placed in foster care, the court did just that and the child was placed in a foster home. Julia appealed this decision, but that appeal was denied. Julia Berkova and Alan Morgan eventually divorced. Julia still lives in the Washington state area. Over a decade has passed since two-year-old Sky vanished, and Julia has largely remained out of the public eye. But nearly 10 years to the day her son went missing, Julia was back in court. According to King 5 News, this time she was accused of third-degree theft and stealing clothes from a Costco. It's unclear how that all worked out for her, but who the hell cares? Despite Julia's lack of cooperation, the Bellevue police still search for answers in Sky's disappearance. Police Chief Steve Milet revealed that between his department, the FBI, and Redmond Police, they've spent 14,000 hours, pursued over 2,500 tips, and spent $2 million trying to solve the case. He went on to say, I will spend any amount of money and go anywhere if our efforts result in finding Sky. He deserves that. Someone, somewhere, knows something. Please come forward and tell us. Sky Elijah Metawala disappeared the morning of Sunday, November 6, 2011, in Bellevue, Washington. He was two years old at the time, two feet ten inches tall, and weighed approximately 28 pounds. He is biracial of Caucasian and South Asian descent with brown hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a gray or green hooded sweatshirt, aqua and black striped Carter sweatpants, with an elastic waistband, and white socks. He would be 14 years old today. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Sky Metawala, contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST or the Bellevue Police Department at one 425 Five seven seven five six five six. I'll be sure to link all this in the show notes. Someone out there knows something and it's beyond time to speak up. That's all for this week. I'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. So make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. And if you're sick of ad interruptions, you can get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.